0: We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Matthew Brown, and I'm the college and young adult pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're currently in our series, The Greatest Adventure, and today we are in Exodus 12, the story of the liberation of the Israelites. Our God is a God of freedom, and we hope that today's sermon encourages you of that promise.
1: Well, good morning, happy 4th of July. It looks like you're all ready to go. Who said food? Who's with me on the food side? Amen, amen. You know, you know the food, If the, the people can be bad, but the food, it's gotta be good, right? I mean, like, if the food's good, I can handle bad people, right? I mean, anybody else? Amen, amen. You know, how many of y'all, just in, just kind of thinking about the 4th of July, at, well, not the 4th of July. Hold on, hold on to that one second. How many of y'all, some of you will remember this, this, in, this entertainment in person, uh, a guy named Arsenio Hall. Remember that guy, the, hoo, 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 right? I think we need to bring it back. Anybody else? This, that would be good. Or you can just bring it back if you're old enough to have, if you have kids, that would really embarrass them just to be, hoo, hoo, every time they did something. Uh, and I'm all about embarrassing my children. Um, but he had this stick where he talked about things that make you go, hmm, right? Just like he would talk about things like, hmm, what's what's happening here? And I have that when I think about the 4th of July, right? I know Declaration of Independence, all this stuff, but at what point did we adopt the practice and find it like it was normal for us to pop fireworks, like blow up things, and eat a bunch of hot dogs? Like when did did hot dog eating contests become like synonymous with the 4th of July, right? I mean like, is that weird to any, no, it's not weird to anybody else, anyway. Just a side note on the Fourth of July, if you live in my neighborhood or around me, I want to thank you personally, uh, because I I love the people in our our neighborhood who spend what seems like to be a whole year's income on fireworks, uh, so that I just have to spend a little bit on some so my kids can feel like they did something and then I can literally watch your paychecks go up in smoke. (laughs) I love you, thank you so much, it's fantastic. But yeah, you know, you think about just the, uh, that day, the 4th of July, right? When the Declaration of Independence was signed and adopted, the electricity that must have been in the room, as, as, the, as these 13 colonies now have their freedom, right, this, this new day is dawning. Actually, a couple of the pastors and I got together and we put together this uh, musical rendition. If you just watch the screen, uh, you, we'll, we'll show this to you. No, I'm joking, we didn't do that. But some of you were so excited, you were like, yes! And then I know that there was some of you, like if my wife's in the room, she's got this like secondhand embarrassment already. She's like, oh, I'm embarrassed for him. Anyway, we didn't do that. But you can imagine, right, in that moment that there's just this electricity, this excitement about what's about to happen for this nation, these 13 colonies that are separating from, from England to have their own nation and declaring their independence and their freedom you know, as exciting as that moment was, I believe that it only pales in comparison to the freedom and the excitement about the, in the passage that we're gonna read this morning. In this moment where God rescues his people from this great nation of Egypt and frees them from that slavery and brings them out of that country and begins to establish them as their own nation. I believe that there's, that there's really no comparison, if, if we're honest to just how electric and exciting the freedom that we understand and the joy of what happens in this passage that we're gonna read. And if you have your Bibles, you can open to Exodus chapter 12. That's where we'll begin. We're gonna go through the last part of chapter 12 all the way through chapter 14. And if you've been tracking, or maybe you haven't been, just to give you a little bit of a heads up or catch up a little bit, what we've done over the past several weeks in this series called The Greatest Adventure is we've walked through the story of the Israelites and the Exodus from Egypt. And we begin with the story of Moses, begin with Moses and, and talked about how our life has a purpose, that we were born with a purpose, that Moses was born to this time in Egypt where Pharaoh, nervous about the number of Israelites that had, that had come to be in this nation of his, that even though they were slaves, he was nervous, and he puts out this call to, to execute, to kill all the children that are born and, and throw them in the Nile that are, that are born of Israelite families. And into that is born Moses. And Moses' mother takes this child and knows that God is special for him. And so she forms this boat or this little basket out of reeds and she floats him down the Nile. And he ends up, by God's providence, in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter as she's in the, at, at the Nile there. Moses' mom even gets to, to, to raise him in those impressionable years of his early life. We talked about being born with a purpose, that Moses was born with that purpose and that you and I are born with a purpose. Moses had his moment and this is our moment and we have a purpose and God has a plan for our lives. And then week two, we talked about God's calling, that Moses was raised in the most influential most influential and powerful home in all of the world with the greatest education and the greatest training known to man in the house of Pharaoh. But he doesn't identify with the Egyptians. He doesn't ascribe to their worship of many gods. Rather, because of that impressionable time when his mom raised him, he identifies with the Israelites and the the reality that there's one true God. And and, and he has this calling on his life. And after a a situation happens between him and some Egyptians, he flees and is in the wilderness. And he's in this moment realizing that God has a call on his life, but he's found himself in in the wilderness alone and far away from everything that he knows. Some of us may find ourselves in that same place where we feel like God's forgotten about us. And we talked about the reality that God has not forgotten, that God has a plan and a purpose. He's got a calling for our lives, and and, and he, he flees to those places, but God had not forgotten about him, and God was preparing him for what he was preparing him for, and God's preparing you for what he's preparing you for, even though right now you may feel like you've been left alone and you're forgotten. You're not. God has a calling on your life. In week three, we talked about miracles happen. What happens is, is God shows up after 40 years in the wilderness. It, Moses, he meets Moses in a, in a bush, and, he, and he, he tells Moses that he's gonna go to Egypt and ask Pharaoh or tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And he argues with him for a little bit of time, but rather than arguing, he goes, and he's obedient, and he tells Pharaoh, you're gonna let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no, you're not, I'm not gonna do that. That's not happening, right? So God uses this moment to show the Egyptians and also the Israelite, his own, Israelites, his own people, his power and his might, that he's powerful over all the little G gods that they worshiped in, in Egypt, and by showing that to the Israelites, they, he, he captures their hearts, and it's, for us, it's a reminder that God does great things. He can, and he does great things, but not just to show off, but to show us that he is greater than any other gods, than any other idols, than any other things that we would put our faith in. To capture our hearts and our minds by His greatness, and then last week we talked about the Passover. In this moment, this monumental moment, which was the last of the ten plagues that God sends to the Israelites, sends to the Egyptians to get the attention of the Egyptians and the Israelites, He sends this, this Passover, where in this moment, this, this would be passed down from generation to generation, and this is the, God's final act where He would where death would would happen for all of the firstborn, a man human and animal in all of the Egyptian households, but for the Israelites, the blood of the lamb would cover the doorposts and death would pass over their homes. And in that moment, God spared the lives of his people because the lamb had taken the place and his blood was shed for them. And it would foreshadow for them and as they celebrate year after year, it would be a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Christ, the lamb of God who would be sacrificed for us. His blood would be shed in our place so that death no longer has victory over us. It's incredible as they pass this down and that's where we're gonna pick up in Exodus chapter, chapter 12, verse 31. Before we do that, I wanna invite you to pray with me just real quick before we open up God's word. Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word, that you would remind us of your greatness, that you would teach us you have freed us, just as you show us the freedom that you brought for the Israelites as they exited Egypt. And we pray that we would have eyes to hear, eyes to see, and ears to hear, and that our hearts, hearts would be stirred and captured by your greatness, and moved towards greater faith and love in you. It's in Christ's name, Amen. So, picking up in verse thirty-one of chapter twelve, it says this that. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and he said, up, leave my people. You and the Israelites, go and worship the Lord as you would request, take the flocks and the herds as you have said and go, but also bless me. And so he tells them to leave and the the Egyptians are urging the people to go. In verse 34 it says, so the people took the dough before the yeast had been added and they carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. And the Israelites did as Moses asked, and they, they went to the Egyptians for art they asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing, and the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and he gave them, and they gave them what they wanted or what they asked for, and so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and there were about six hundred thousand men on foot, besides women and children. And so they leave, and it says that they were there for about 4,430 years before they exited. And then and and the rest of the ch- verses there, the rest of the 12 verses there, that he gives Moses and Aaron these instructions on how they're gonna celebrate the Passover meal. And then we pick up in, in chapter 13. If you wanna skip down to verse eight, or excuse me, starting in verse one, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or or animal, and if you jump down to verse eight, it says that, that this, on that day, on the day that they consecrate these males, firstborn uh, firstborn of human or animal, that you should say to your, tell your sons, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This ordinance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips, for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand, you might keep his ordinance at the appointed time of the year. And so God establishes for the people a rhythm, this rhythm of remembering, and tells Moses to give the Israelites these instructions on how to celebrate not only this, that, the, this moment where they would, they would consecrate the firstborn, but the Passover. And they would pass that on to generation to generation so that they don't forget. And then verse 17, it says, when Moses let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, so it was shorter, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and turn again to Egypt. And so the Lord led them around the desert road towards the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up, ready for battle. So they go up ready for battle, but God knows that they can't face battle or they'll turn back, and so he leads them a different way. In verse 20, it says, after leaving Succoth, they camped in Ethium, excuse me, Etham, and on the, edge, on the edge of the desert, and by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of clouds and guided them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel both day and night, and neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left from in front of the people. In verse, verse one of chapter 14, it says, when the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp at Pi Pihihirath, if I'm saying that right, between Migdal and the sea, they encamped by the sea directly opposite of Baal-Sepharon. And Moses, or excuse me, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land confused and hemmed in by the desert. He hardened Pharaoh, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh when all all his armies and the Egyptians and all the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So that's exactly what happened. He moves them around to this place and here comes Pharaoh and his army and, and this greatest, most powerful army in all of the world is coming after them and as this army approaches, the Israelites begin to complain and whine and ask, hey, why did you bring us out here, right? But Moses responds to, that, that, to their complaining and he says, he answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of, that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians that you see today, will nev- you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move. And raise, your, raise your staff and stretch out your hands over the sea and divide the waters and so the Israelites can go through on dry ground. He said it so many times, dry ground, catch it. The water parts back and they walk on dry ground where there was once ocean. It's now a dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will come after you and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his armies and through his chariots and his horsemen and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots. And so this cloud moves from in front of them to behind them to, to protect them, to keep them from the, the Egyptians from pursuing them yet and they go through and he stretched out his hands and it drove the sea back and they walked through the sea as it divided and on the other side, Pharaoh's armies, they begin to come after him, after the Egyptians, after the Israelites. And God said to them, stretch out your hand over the seas and the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and the horsemen. And so God follows the instructions and the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord, verse 31, displayed against the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord, put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. God displays his power in freeing the Egyptians, freeing the Israelites from the Egyptians. And in the process, he captures their hearts. Their faith in him grows, and they're they're in awe of his greatness and his might, and they put their trust in him. Isn't it incredible that God gives us his word and the the narrative here of the freeing of his people so that we can know him and know his power and his might in the ways that we get to understand. And as we look back over the passage, there's a handful of things that I wanna make sure that we point out that maybe can be handlebars, truths that we can leave here with from this story that we've got in Scripture in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And what I pray is that these these truths will stir our hearts in the same way that it stirred the Israelites, that our faith in him would increase, that our eyes would be captured by his greatness and his power and his might, and that, and that we, our love and awe for him and our faith in him would increase as we work through these six truths that I believe will are found in this passage. The first one is this, that God is the one that frees his people. If you have your notes, you can take some notes here as we're working through this. God is the one that frees his people. Pastor Jeff said this last week as we worked through some of this passage in in chapter 12, but it bears repeating, like we should never get tired of being reminded of this, that it was freedom from Pharaoh was God's work. The Israelites didn't rescue themselves. They didn't one day decide, hey, we're leaving. Pharaoh, this is, this is, the time is up. It says 430 years. That's about what Abraham was told. So we're gonna, we're gonna head out now. No, God did this. Moses didn't do it. Moses wasn't a great warrior. He didn't, he didn't lead them in some battle. God was the one that freed the people of Israel from Pharaoh. Not only was it God's work to free them, the people from Pharaoh, it's God's work to free, free us from our sin. That freedom from our sin is God's work that you and I have nothing to do, it's key for us, that that it's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, that that God's own son, that we experience life and freedom. It's God's work that frees us. It was his grace that freed us. We didn't accomplish it for ourselves. And maybe this morning, this, this is the only thing that you're here to hear. Because you've not put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've not come to that place and what you're doing is trying to figure out how you can, you can rescue yourselves from this place that you found yourself in where you're captive to, to sin or to some, some addiction or to some problem and you're like, I, once I figure it out, I'll be free. And listen, what I'm telling you is that you can't, God can, God did, and he's inviting you into that. I don't want to pass up an opportunity that if you need to put your faith in Jesus, he tells us very clearly that, that if you find yourself in that this place, that he frees us from that enslavement to our sin. That if we repent and confess that he is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and Scripture tells us that we'll be saved. And if that's you this morning, and I want you to know that as we conclude the service, I would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to trust Jesus and to have a relationship with him and experience the freedom that he's promised. Because it's him who frees you, not you. We had nothing to do with it. Second thing in this passage that I, that, that I believe is, is important for us to see is that God provides for his people. God is the one that provides for his people. You See, everything, everything that the Israelites needed for the place that God was taking them was provided for, was provided by the God who freed them. Everything that the Israelites needed for the place that God was taking them was provided by the God who freed them. Catch that. God frees his people, and then he provides everything that they need for the places that he's going to take them. You can see it. What's awesome is that he tells tells Moses when he meets him at the burning bush that this is what he's going to do. He's gonna provide for them. But even before that, in Genesis, if you go all the way back to the beginning of God saying, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you, Abraham, he says this in Genesis chapter 15, verse 14. He tells Abraham, but I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, the people that I'm going to make you into. Years and years and years and years from now, I will punish the people, the nation that they serve as slaves, and, I, and afterwards, they will come out with great possession." This isn't in your notes, but you need to write it down. That God has a plan to provide your needs before you ever knew that you needed them. That God has a plan to provide your needs before you ever knew that you needed them. That there's gonna be things that you face in the next year, in the next five years, in the next 10 years of your life, and God already has a plan for how he's going to provide for those needs that you're not even ready to know that you need them yet. Some of you are riddled with anxiety about the future, and I'm telling you that God already has a plan for that. And I'm not making it up, it's in scripture, it's so clear. provision doesn't just end in providing for them the, the gold and the silver and the clothing that they would, li- that they would need to, to walk out of there, that they would need to build the temple and for the journey that they would be on. And second, he provides by saying, by God makes, he provides by making a way where there was no way. And you've probably heard that phrase before, But God's providing for the people of Israel by making a way where there was not a way. Or maybe rephrasing, he was making a way where they didn't see a way yet. And before you laugh at them, how could they not see that God was gonna do this, right? It was obvious, right? Because you're so familiar with the story, it's obvious. But they were stuck on the sea, right next to a sea with an army pressing in. And to be truthful, if we really take this in, how many times do we freak out because we can't see right now where the Lord has already prepared a way for us because we're blinded by the problems that we're facing. See, God takes us to places where we learn to rely on him more than we rely on ourselves. God, on purpose, takes us to places where we learn to rely on him more than we rely on ourselves. I can't tell you how many times this is the truth in my own life I can't tell you how many, how many times I have conversations with individuals where this is what happens and there's where God is literally putting you in a place beyond what you can handle. It never says in scripture that God is not gonna give you more than you can handle. The Israelites were given right here more than they could handle. He takes them to places beyond what they can handle to show them or to teach them to rely on him because he can handle it even when we can't. He can handle it even when we can't. The path through the middle of the sea on that dry ground was never a mystery to him. The Lord could see what they could not even imagine was there for them. The Lord already knew where that path was. When he put them at the sea, he already knew where they were going. They couldn't have even imagined it, but we say it, I think, every week. We worship a God who does more than we can ask or imagine, amen? That's what he does for the Israelites, and I'm confident that I'm not the only one in this room that needs to hear this truth that right now you're you're set in with a, a problem too big for you to understand on one side and an enemy pressing in on the other, and what I'm telling you is that God already has a way through there. What he wants more than anything is for you to learn to rely on him more than you rely on him, more than you rely on yourself. He says, maybe what you and I both need to hear is these words from Moses that he tells the people as they're freaking out, do not be afraid. Stand firm. and You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. Stand firm. The problem and an enemy pressing in, stand firm. Because a God that we trust already has a way through the sea where we're, where we're, that we're standing against. The fourth thing that I, that I think is, is important for us to see is that God is present with his people. I love this, it's so important for me as I've read this story a thousand times, I, I, that, that the truth that God is present with his people. He didn't take them out of Egypt and leave them alone. Right, God doesn't leave them alone, but he was with them by day and by night. He doesn't, he, doesn't ask, he doesn't rescue them and then say, all right, figure it out on your own. I'm out. I'm going back to, to heaven, and I'm just going to watch from up there. No, he's present with them. It says by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, he frees them, and he doesn't leave them alone to figure it out. He's with his people. He's a shelter, a refuge, a hiding place, a constant help for them and for us. You're like, T, it would be really good if I could have a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Like, I know, I get it. But you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The life of Jesus taking up residence in you and he's with you by day and by night, he never leaves us. Jesus tells us, his disciples on the eve before he ascends to heaven, he promises that he'll never leave us. He says, I'm gonna send the helper to be with you, and he's in you. He provides that presence. He never leaves us, he, pre- he, he's, he doesn't abandon us when he rescues us from our sin. Isaiah says, the, the prophet Isaiah says this, that. Even when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. King David cries out and declares, where can I go from your presence? And maybe we just need to be reminded this morning that he's here, that he doesn't leave us alone. And not only is he present, but he's near. You Breathe in this truth that he's near to us. I remember a number of, right after I started here, sitting around the tables on a Monday as we were praying through all of the cards that we receive on Sundays, as, as you guys give us those, those prayer requests, we pray through those on Monday mornings, and one of, the, one of our pastors prayed and she said, God, would you let them know your nearness? And I, it just stuck with me. Because I know presence, but nearness seems different. I mean, I've been in a presence of lots of people that had no idea I was there. The day I met Rebecca, I was in her presence. She had no idea I existed. I was trying. Plenty of us sit in rooms and we're present with each other, but we're not near because we're staring at our phones all the time, scrolling through Instagram, being mad about what we don't have. He's near to us. He's not just in the room, he's near. and He knows our needs. Asking us to come. Listen to what Jesus says. Maybe you need to hear this as much as I do today. It says, come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I I am gentle and humble at heart. You will find rest for your souls. Maybe you just need to know that he's near. Fourth truth that has a plan for his people. Just know this, that, Jesus, that God doesn't rescue them and is like, all right, now we've got you out, what are we gonna do next? And he gets to the Red Sea and he's like, ooh, Red Sea, mm, Egypt, I don't, I don't really know what to do now. Uh, I guess I'll do this. He has a plan from the very beginning, and he has a plan for you and I. Now, God's plan doesn't always make sense. And sometimes we may struggle to understand it. I mean, you think about this, Pharaoh is looking at this Egyptian, he's looking at these Israelites as they wander around in the desert, and from his his point of view, they are lost and confused. But they're exactly where God wants them to be. God has a plan, but that plan doesn't always make sense. Certainly not to our culture. Certainly not to some of our friends and our family. But obedience to him is way better then making sure they understand the plan. I mean, our culture says, why don't you just move in with your boyfriend? Why don't you just move in with your girlfriend? You love each other. It doesn't make sense to our culture to walk the way that God calls us to walk. It may look like we're confused. You say, God, I'm going to respond to this calling on my life to walk into ministry. And your friends and your family, they have a plan for you too, but God's plan is better. And I promise that walking on the side, walking in the desert, looking like you're confused to Pharaoh, is way better in that moment because they're exactly where God has them to be. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you, it didn't to to the Israelites. Maybe in that moment, God's plan doesn't make sense to you and you're asking Moses the same way, you're asking the Lord the same way the Israelites were asking Moses, why did you bring us here? Was it because there wasn't enough graves over there? Was it because you just wanted to make a fool out of me? And God's like, no, I have a plan for your life. Just because it doesn't make sense to you right now doesn't mean that it's not the perfect plan. He has a plan, it doesn't make sense. But what he's always doing, what God is always doing is working for our good and his glory. What he's always doing is working for our good and his glory. God's plan is that you would know him and know the greatness of his power, his glory and his might, that you would know that there is no one like our God, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he brought the the Israelites to that edge of that sea so that they could know that the most powerful country, the most powerful ruler in all of the world was no match for him. So that their faith in him would grow. And their love for him would grow. Because he loves us. He desires that our love and our faith in him would grow. More than a particular place that he's taking you What God wants is that our minds, our hearts, and our minds would be in awe of him. We would be captured by his goodness and his glory. The fifth thing that, that that is in this passage I believe that we need to see is that God protects his people. God protects his people. You see, the enemy draws near. The enemy will draw near, but God will always fight for us. God protects his people. The enemy draws near, but God always, God always fights for us. That's what he says. The Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. Let's be honest, the Israelites had no chance against this army, even on their best day. Even with all the weapons that they carried out, thinking they were great, they had no chance. And you and I have no chance against the enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy our peace and our joy and the life that Christ has given us. We need Jesus desperately. Now, even though the enemy draws near, he fights for us. He's the good shepherd that lays down his life for us, He's the Good Shepherd who is who is standing at the gate and keeping the enemy from us. He's the one who protects us, and I know that all of us need to hear this this morning. That He's powerful and strong, and noth- and listen, nothing can separate us from His love. As Paul writes in Romans, I'm convinced that neither. Life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor, nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. On the one hand, that's the greatness on the lo- of his love. On the other hand, it's the power of his love that nothing can overcome it. He's, he protects us from that enemy. and Nothing can separate us from that love. When his presence moves from in front of the army, in front of the people to behind, his presence keeps that enemy from moving forward. Nothing can separate us from his love because he's powerful. And the last thing is that God sets up these reminders. God establishes reminders for his people. As the reminders are to keep our eyes on him and our hearts resting in him. I know some of you are like, T, wait. I'm going too fast. God establishes the reminders for his people. The reminders are to keep our eyes on him and our hearts resting in him. He tells the people, he knows that we're prone to wonder and so he wants to bring us back again and again to be captured in awe by the wonder of his might and his power. So he establishes for the people this rhythm of of remembering these, these reminders over and over so they keep coming back. And in doing that, in reminding themselves of God's power and his presence and his provision and the freedom that they have and the purpose and the plan and the protection over and over of God's doing it, what happens then is the next generation knows, as a result, the next generation will know that it is God that did these great things. They will know that it is his, his grace that frees us that it was his grace and greatness that provides for us, that it's his presence that's with us, that it's his purpose that's for our lives, that's greater than any other purpose, that he protects us. He's present with us. He passed that down to them. Establishes these reminders so the next generation will know that it's not just my story of what God did, but it's your story. It's not just your grandparents' salvation, it's he rescues you. He invites us into this story, the story of the, Egypt, the Israelites being freed from Egypt is my story of being freed from Egypt. And I pass that down to my children to know that they can be a part of this great story of God rescuing his people if they put their faith in him and find their hope in him. As we said just a second ago, if you've not done that this morning, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, I would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to trust Christ and have a relationship with him. For some of us, it's, this morning, is just about renewing, that, our, renewing our hearts and renewing our faith and our love for Christ as we see his greatness and his beauty and his majesty and his power to free the people of Israel, to free us from our sin, to protect us and provide for us. We're gonna close with just a moment of, of response. Moments like this, in our, in our days like this, in our nation, we celebrate and we look back to be reminded of the freedoms that God's given, the freedoms that we have as a, as, as a nation. And it's funny that we celebrate with hot dogs and fireworks, but it's a good reminder that of where we came from. But Even more so, even more incredible, even more worthy of celebrating. It's the reason why we gather here each week to sing and to open up God's word is being reminded of the freedom that we've been given in Jesus. So, this morning as we respond, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. It's going to be twofold. First, we're going to respond by just giving. It'll be a moment for us as we sing to respond in, in giving our tithes and offerings. And I just want to thank you guys for, for the way that you give, sacrificially, consistently to allow us to do the ministry that God's called us to at Rolling Hills, to allow me to take the gospel and to move to Columbia in the next couple of months. We're like 80 days from that, hallelujah. And it's because you guys give so faithfully and consistently that we're able to go do that. Praise the Lord for you guys. So as we respond in that, I wanna thank you for that. But secondly, as we sing, it's a moment for you just to deal with what the Lord is doing in your own. Respond to him how he's moving in your own life. So I'd invite you to pray with me and then we're gonna sing, and respond through our giving and however you need to respond. Christ, we love you and we thank you that you loved us first and best and always. We thank you that you freed us and we pray that in this moment that your Holy Spirit would move. We thank you for the opportunity to give. We thank you also that you, you move in our hearts Stir our hearts affection, we draw our minds attention to you, and you increase our faith as we are reminded of your freedom, your presence, and your power, your plan, and the purpose that you have for our lives. It's in Christ's strong name that we pray.
0: Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.